What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. People, Leo Phillips here with This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Every single week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this big, gigantic, spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, insights into the creative mind during this truly unusual time, and everything in the Juicy Center. This week, we're thrilled to share a conversation with the hyper-talented Katie Stelmanis of Austra. Because I feel like getting bored is like a very essential part of any sort of creative process. After performing in other bands, Katie launched the Austra Project in 2009, and since then has been producing some of the most thoughtful, enigmatic electronic rock out there. While the pandemic may have delayed your opportunity to see her bring that music to life, the dazzling Hyruden was released at the beginning of May and offers an equally emotional ride. The album's title is taken from a chemical found in the saliva of leeches, a substance that thickens blood prior to consumption, a process that is equally achieved in the sticky tracks that dig right into your veins and refuse to let go. In this chat, Lior spoke with Katie about how opera proved her gateway to performance, the power of a good show in Eastern Europe, seeing in sync as a teen, and so much more. So let us not be delayed. This is Lior and Ostra. Enjoy! I mean, to be honest, the only thing that is keeping balanced kind of is music because I'm at home and I have my studio set up 
And so I'm kind of just pretending that life is normal and that I'm just working in my studio because, you know, it's very easy to like sit in a studio for like 12 hours a day and not go outside and not think anything of it. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm kind of just pretending that I'm back in that zone. So, so yeah, I've just been like working on music and otherwise I've been, I don't know, doing what everybody else is doing, just like figuring out a way to like cook three, three meals a day. Like, I think I've worked out like twice and yeah. I used to work out I and I used to do yoga almost every day. Um, and that that was like a new thing for me. I only started doing that in the past couple of years. And I was like really proud of myself to get to a place where I had like a regular exercise because I'm usually kind of allergic to exercise. Um, yeah. But I've just like completely gone like it's just I just can't do it. I just can't do it in my apartment. It seems <laughs> it's just not working. Obviously, there's no like right or wrong way. But making music now, why does that feel like it can you know help you creatively like what is the thing in you know your brain that's helping compartmentalize everything and the fact that you do have a studio is obviously such a blessing that you have that right there oh yeah yeah I know a lot of artists that have studios that are not in their house and I imagine they would really be struggling um I've just I've been seeing people like write about it online um but uh, yeah I mean I just feel like I tend to, whenever I'm writing I tend to just kind of allow myself to get really bored <laughs> in general. Like I, I, I'll usually just be somewhere alone and kind of just not really have anything else to do. And I mean, obviously I have other stuff to do right now, but like for the most part, I'm kind of just bored and going into the studio and just playing around and mm -hmm. just kind of forgetting that anything insane is going on in the world until i read like open up my phone and then it's like oh god yeah apocalypse and then right. forget about it again for a couple hours burn it throw it into the trash mm -hmm. yeah but but like obviously making I, I quite like the concept of taking the idea of boredom and using that to fuel creativity because i do feel like you know obviously aside from like the financial chaos that's happening and the, the loss of life in mm -hmm. general i think like our thoughts and being like forced to be still mm -hmm. and quiet with our thoughts is kind of i think that's really that's really affecting a lot of people and that's really hard for people so i quite like that you are using that boredom you know and turning it into something at least that you're not hating or at least that you are spending time on which i think is Usually people take boredom and, you know, they translate that into, I don't know, opening the snack cupboard five yeah. million times. I or, mean, I definitely do know, that too. But Do that. Yeah. yeah. Guilty. Um, or, you know, watching something silly, which is always kind of comforting. But I like the idea. Have you always been like that? Like you, your writing comes from a place where you are just tinkering around and playing around? Yeah, I think so. I think... Mm. I, I feel like I've seen a lot of people say or write recently that phrase like interesting people don't get bored or something. It's I don't know if that's exactly what it is, but it's something along those lines. And I just I feel like I just don't agree with that because I feel like getting bored is like a very essential part of any sort of creative process. Because um, in a way, like being bored is kind of being vulnerable, really, oh, because God, it's like absolutely. Yeah, because it's like yeah. you're just kind of stuck with yourself and your own thoughts. And so it's kind of interesting to see like what what your brain comes up with, <laughs> what you fill up the space with. Yeah. And I suppose boredom and distraction are kind of hand in hand sometimes because 
mm-hmm. you 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 don't want to feel like you're completely distracted but then like leaning into that boredom mm-hmm. and turning it into a place where you can just have fun i think is the most interesting as well i don't know who said that <laughs> I don't agree either. it doesn't yeah. make yeah definitely but i also think boredom equates to like laziness right mm-hmm. and even like now i don't know if you feel the same way but like i think when this all started there were all those things i think somebody like I don't know, someone tweeted it, which is never a good start to any story, but (laughs) someone tweeted something like King Lear was written in a, I don't know, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the plague during the play yeah. or something like crap like that yeah. <laughs> not want that information and then this like horrible kind of trend swept the world about you know you should be doing a lot and then suddenly the wellness and health area they started stepping in saying no you can just do nothing so it's confusing it's <laughs> i think I think just like, you know, it's like, do I, should I do something? Yeah. Should I not do anything? Yeah. I, I feel like I feel like the key right now is that you just have to go with the flow and not feel guilty about it. <laughs> like, yeah. if you feel like incapable of doing anything productive, that's, I think, totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you happen to be feeling productive, that's also fine. You know, it doesn't mean you're like insensitive to the worldwide apocalypse or anything but but yeah i I think you just gotta like listen to your listen to your gut (laughs) and go with the flow yeah do you find you take that approach normally to to music and the way that you make music like if you are kind of pressurizing yourself to get a certain note or i don't know find a certain melody do you feel like it stresses you out more than just like leaning into it um I mean, to be honest, I feel like there's kind of two components to making music. There's like the technical, more skill side where you can just be like, okay, I just have to do this and work on this for like six hours. But then when it comes to like just pulling things out of thin air, like when it comes to like creating a melody, for example, I find that if I don't have something good within like 20 minutes, I'll just stop and put it aside and maybe try again the next day because... I find that when it comes to, yeah, like that sort of like instantaneous creative output, you just got to wait for it <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Um, but there's so much work you can do outside of that. You know, there's so much just like technical work and skill-based work, but the like, like root what? ideas. Just like, um, like if, if you have, you know, if I have like the, the, the basis of a song, if I have like mm-hmm. melody and lyrics and like a chord progression or something like that, then filling in the blanks is something that you can do more easily. You know, like try mm. different parts or like different drum parts or different like production ideas or whatever. But it's like getting that like core idea or something is something that either is going to happen or it's not. <laughs> and you can't like drill it out, I find. What do you think you'll do differently after this do you feel like you'll approach things a little differently after this just from a music perspective or just as a creative just given the current climate I'm just like more inclined to write a different way I don't know like for some reason all the stuff that I've been working on has been kind of like angry and aggressive and I don't know why exactly I don't think it's like entirely because of the pandemic but there's I guess because the record that I just put out is in some ways like quite melancholy or something 
Um, and so everything that I've been writing recently has been like, yeah, a lot more aggressive. <laughs> so so is, is that, but is that how, obviously that's like, it, it's honest, right? You, you ever mentioned earlier, like the idea of vulnerability and yeah. like feeling into that boredom. Mm -hmm. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's what I sort of feel like making right now. So it's just kind of <laughs> what's coming out. Do you find that your process or almost what like music making means to you, do you find that that now has shifted even just in the last few weeks, like just looking at this record now as the, it, this is your new narrative almost, like this is your new offering, which, you know, again, I think there's just no rules right now. Yeah. Like you could release this album and then release the angry rad stuff that you're making as well so <laughs> yeah like, has, like yeah. how has that kind of shifted it just even in the last few weeks well I mean I feel like the music I'm about to release is you know I finished that record a year ago or something mm. and the world my life was just so different a year ago um and like you know the songs have I, I would hope like you know I feel like a, a good song you would hope has some sort of timelessness to it where it doesn't have to be like relating to a specific event or a specific idea it can be applied to a lot of different things but I mean in terms of what this what the record that's coming out personally means to me you know I am in a completely different situation like position in my life now than I was a year ago when I finished it and um, but that's just kind of the nature of putting out music in general. And I think that a lot of the time, probably most artists, when they put out their music, are kind of like going back into how they were feeling, you know, one to three years earlier. Um, and, you know, I could do that. But also, it just seems impossible given the current climate. Because it's like you can't pretend that <laughs> what's happening in the world right now isn't relevant or isn't significant or doesn't like in some way influence like what it feels like to be putting out music that you made two years ago but obviously it's a placeholder because it's just a time in your life that you are documenting yeah but for sure but having that timelessness i suppose is the it's also kind of the thing that is quite stressful sometimes or like something under threat where i'm sure like is there a is there a, a song on the record that you relate to now even more so than you did when you wrote it yeah i mean that's the that's the interesting thing is that so many of the songs on the record do have this completely new meaning than they did six months ago um like anyways for example which is the second track that i put out a lot of people have been pointing out like this is like the quarantine track <laughs> like the lyric it's like the <laughs> pandemic track it's like the lyrics in that yeah. song it sounds like you're in quarantine and like the video for that song is like basically somebody in quarantine kind of like in their own thoughts but like that's basically what we're all experiencing right now so in a, in a way like that song was it's almost like scary how like um that song was able to like predict the future a little bit are you a <laughs> are you a secret oracle like is this all just <laughs> can you psychic? tell the future <laughs> yeah I, mean, I definitely have moments where i'm like i think i'm a little bit psychic um, yeah for various reasons and this is kind of one of them like with this track i was like wow i pre-wrote it and like a pandemic track that's really crazy because um, at the time i was very much like i'm I, I was confused where that track actually came from because it wasn't reflective of what i was personally going through at the time but it became 
way more relevant like even in my personal life as well so it's just yeah it's I I do believe I'm psychic (laughs) yeah what other things have like shocked you in the past that you like that your gut has just told you something and then it's happened um I mean kind of well kind of more sad things I guess like Mm. I remember I had this whatever I'll, I'll just say it but I had this like like a two summers ago or something I had this like really dark feeling that like something bad was going to happen to my parents and then mm. it like, was causing me anxiety and then it ended up being that my dad's best friend died like really suddenly <gasps> and the yeah. feeling kind of went away Aww. but I was like and I talked about it I was like I have this like really bad feeling leading up to it and I'm grateful that it wasn't my parents said it happened to but i was like okay this is my like psychic energy is coming through yeah and able to like listen to it as well because then like you i suppose when you are in touch in in with that uh other reality that alternative realm uh whatever it is um it allows you to i suppose really tackle whatever's happening right now you know like there is some there's some like logic to it as well because if you have that panic feeling about your parents you you are likely to then reach out to them be grateful you know count your blessings yeah for sure so it's it's yeah i always find that when i have have those feelings and they're true or like i don't know if like something's happening and i know that there's three usually if something bad happens in my life there it's not like a superstition it's just kind of the pattern like there's just usually two other things that will follow it. It's oh, like yeah, always yeah. in threes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know why. Yeah. But um, do but do you have kind of premonitions about friends, or is it really, or the world, or is it like really your just your family, like that those those little feelings? I mean, I think they're just little feelings that come every so often, and that I can't control. Yeah. Like I definitely don't have the ability to predict the future in any like yeah. useful way <laughs> but just once in a while i'll be like i felt like this was gonna happen and i'll feel yeah like okay I, it's like but that gut is so strong like especially in in the mm-hmm. realm of uh creative you 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 have to follow that gut it's so loud if you listen yeah. to it yeah for sure um, so i really do you get those feelings at all like before shows like if a show you just feel like something's off and you are about to perform and yeah. it just turns to shit. <laughs> Has that ever happened before? I mean, yeah, but usually it doesn't take a psychic to know if the show's going to yeah. be bad or not. <laughs> what, are the, what are the like the biggest telltale signs for you that you just know, okay, this is just not, this show is going to, it's just not going to work out? Um, I mean, to be honest, you never really know. It just, I guess it kind of depends on like, the mind like the mindset that you're in and the mindset that in a way the crowd is in and like ideally you're kind of on the same in the same zone or like you can draw each other like sometimes I'll be in a bad mood and I'll get on stage and it'll be an amazing crowd and within like five minutes I'm like all in it and you know sometimes the crowd will be boring and then they'll come on board but then there are shows sometimes where you just like have trouble connecting with the crowd for whatever reason for you know it could be a million different reasons but those shows definitely can be pretty frustrating but then at the same time the perception is usually only yours because then maybe some people in the audience will be like that was amazing and you'll be like really (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. didn't feel like Will that we for me. the same show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of the blessing and power of live music, right? Is that like you can, there are things that you can hide because the crowd is feeding off just something else. Like the tiny stuff that you might nitpick and see the crowd just isn't aware. Like any performer, not only live music, like this could be for an athlete or anyone performing in a live setting to strangers. Um, there's always that chance where like you're going to get off stage and look confused and everyone's going crazy. Like that was the best show I've ever seen. And uh, you're like, what? Really? Oh my God. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just feel like being able to actually play a show again and being able to go to a show again, I feel like the next time any of us are able to see live music, like everyone's just going to be like freaking out. <laughs> like it's going to be a crazy experience. I don't know what will happen. Like, I wonder if people will just like involuntary just start screaming and like, I don't know, get naked mm -hmm. or like stay further away from one another. Like yeah. I was thinking the other day I had this really weird conversation. I mean, very good about, you know, that there's that expert uh, one person's opinion that's been kind of being going around on New York Times lately. <laughs> yeah. It's this health expert right. who's like, nothing will start up until fall 2021. Yeah. Um, and whilst that probably is true, no one wanted to hear it. No. No one, no one was ready. No. So I think it came up to, it came up against a lot of defensiveness. But the thought of it, because then it started the argument of, well, if we were allowed to see one another or go to shows soon, maybe smaller shows would happen. But then the logistics of that argument doesn't really make sense, right? Because how do you police like how do you make sure that those that so if you're letting 50 to 100 people into a room mm -hmm. how do you make sure that everyone's going to be safe are you going to like put people into pods yeah like are you gonna you know what i mean so even the the case for oh well smaller shows can maybe still happen i just don't understand the logic I'm I'm trying to be as hopeful as possible, but I don't <laughs> understand the optimism there. Yeah. Like logically. Yeah, I mean it's just really like who knows what'll happen, you know? Like yeah. who knows what developments will happen or not happen or you know. Like definitely like the live music as far as I'm concerned, like the live music industry is kind of thinking that things will be back on in the fall. Um, or they're planning for that and I'm planning for that. <laughs> Um, but I, I figure that we'll just reassess, you know, like come July and see where it's at. Um, so we've got a few months, but it's crazy because things changed so quickly, you know, from like the beginning of March to the end of March, really like within a week, I think that, but the week where we like all kind of went into lockdown happened so quickly that it feels like it felt like things were moving really, really fast. And since then kind of nothing has changed yeah just new more opinions yeah like you new, expect yeah. you expect to hear something new or to hear updates but there just aren't really any other than like you know the number of infected people cases getting higher and the death tolls getting higher but like aside from that there's no like big news <laughs> in relation yeah. to what's going on so yeah, yeah so we'll see i don't know it, it, would, it would be a bummer i would love to be able to play finally but it's i completely understand <laughs> that it's not possible
you, so do you expect some sort of increase in live stream concerts and other experimental performances to continue past the time when we're able to have concerts again? Like, do you feel, well, how do you feel about live streamed performances, like on a personal level and as a viewer? Um, I mean, it's just not the same. Like, it's, it's kind of its own thing in a way, but like, I don't think that it can in any way attempt to replace a concert. Um, I mean, part of being at a concert is being in a crowd. It's part of that, like, experience of connecting with other people while listening to something. You know, when you're just at home and watching somebody on the internet, that's absolutely no different than, like, anything else that you watch on the internet, in a way. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm kind of, like, rather than doing like a live streamed performance and like you should just mm -hmm. listen to my record because right. <laughs> i made i made that record to sound good like at oh home oh my gosh you know what you should <laughs> so, do yeah when the record comes out just prop your phone mm -hmm. to, towards your record player and just play the record oh that's actually just a really good it. idea <laughs> oh i will do it like yeah. get, get everyone in your immediate circle yeah just to do <laughs> live that. stream my new record yeah <laughs> Pause the podcast. It's time to step away from the conversation with Austria ever so briefly to share a special segment. We typically like to share our favorite live show or live stream of the week, but we want to continue putting a spotlight where it's most needed and instead highlight an organization we think you should contribute to. This week we're highlighting the Chicago West Community Music Center. For 20 years, the center has provided instruction and information on classical and jazz music, as well as the music business at large for underserved youth on the west side of Chicago. Students from the Chicago West Community Music Center have performed all over the world, and countless lives have been touched by their work. To contribute, head to www.cwcmc.org support. That's cwcmc.org support. As always, the link will also be in the episode description, as well as our essential resources guide available on our social media. If you have an organization you think should be highlighted in this segment, please reach out to us at thismustbethegig at gmail.com. But for now, back to the show. Enjoy! So you wouldn't do a concert or anything from home. You you don't feel comfy doing something like that. I mean, maybe at some point I'll yeah. figure out something. If I can like figure out a way to do it that doesn't feel totally awkward. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just hard also with the type of music I make too. You know, it's easy when you can just like plug in a guitar and like play right, a song exactly. and it's like no problem. But, you know, but it's a bit more complicated when you've got like a little bit of a tech setup. And I mean, I could do like all these piano vocal performances, but it's just not reflective of the music I make. So it's like, what's the point of getting all this material out there that isn't actually like how I want to be represented Connected. or like what I want to be right. doing? Yeah, so it's a hard call. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that like honesty as well. I think that it's definitely better suited to certain art artists. You're right. Even just from an emotional standpoint, like some artists maybe... For them, just connecting on a live stream for a half an hour or whatever doesn't do much to them. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's you're different, so yeah. that makes that definitely makes sense. But so, do you feel like live stream concerts will be the norm, like after everything you know gets 
hopefully back to normal or at least some sort of normalcy. Like I don't think it will ever be like it was, mm-hmm. but do you think that, do you think mm-hmm. that they'll continue to be more popular or? I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. I feel like I would say no, just mm. because I think that it, when people can play live music again by that, like if this actually goes on until like fall 2021, by the time mm. fall 2021 comes around, people are like, please, I never want to see a live stream again <laughs> in my life. Yeah. Um, you know, God. or yeah, or you could just like be embedded in like how we um, absorb culture. I'm not sure, but I, I kind of, I, I, I'm more excited by the idea of finally being out of quarantine and everybody just like going into the world and just like embracing real life interaction so so tell me about the first time that you saw live music where was it and who was the artist do you remember the very first gig that you ever saw um well yes i remember the first two gigs i ever saw and they're pretty different so i might talk about both of them yeah but the first one is was nsync um, and I was like 15, <laughs> yeah. I think. And yeah. and I wasn't even a fan, but uh, like a friend had a ticket or something. So I went to see NSYNC. But then when I saw the show, I became a huge fan. I actually became like obsessed with Justin Timberlake um, to f- to like, you know, it was like half joke, half real kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was like one of the first concerts. And then the first like like indie concert really that i saw was um this band from calgary called the red hot lovers um and that was in toronto because a friend of mine who i grew up with was like dating one of them i think i was maybe 17 or 18 at the time and it was my first time seeing like loud guitar music live and i was like fully converted i guess i never because when i was like in high school and everything i was pretty much only listened to classical music like I kind of I didn't really like that much other music and I just like never understood how to connect with it but then when I saw this band live and like I understood like the power of sound or like being like assaulted with this sound I kind of became obsessed with it and that like changed the direct trajectory of basically my life in a way (laughs) because I, I like fell out of classical music at that point i was like oh this is way better yeah (laughs) my brain definitely is bubbling right now to this yeah yeah but so those are two very stark Mm -hmm. they're very different very different experiences but i kind of love the spectacle that uh, an nsync concert has the potential of yeah versus something that is quite intimate even loud um yeah. You know, I quite like the fact that like you can also get really blown away equally by both senses yeah. because either you're in like a super loud stadium mm-hmm. with like screaming people around you or that makes you like heightened it like you know revs up your heart or yeah. the music can do that for you. So that's those are amazing. How, so how old were you when you saw In Sync? I was like 14 or 15. So I was like a little bit, yeah, I mean, I was a little bit too old to be like, I think like at that time it was like eight or nine year olds were their core fan base. So I was like a little bit too old, but like, but I definitely, they got me for sure. (laughs) 
Thank God. So when's the, when's the last... I saw something really funny, actually. Um, they had done some sort of interview, like uh, Justin and Lance did this interview mm-hmm. about, like, what, describe your favorite girl, like your girl crush. Oh, God. And Justin was like, I don't know what just, Justin said. Somebody is, I think... Who did he say was his favorite? Oh, I can't remember now. But Lance Bass was like Sinead O'Connor. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't Lance Bass gay though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's perfect. It's like, okay, well, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) But so I suppose also like seeing a show like that as well, there's this like huge collective. It is, even if you aren't that age, that in the bracket, there is that sense of like, the fandom is on a different level like that level of fandom for pop groups especially like I don't know if I what I would have done if I saw NSYNC when I really loved NSYNC like I never got to see them live yeah like when I, I mean like back in the day like when we all loved the boy bands but there is that sense of like I like you idolizing someone you know so it's completely I don't know if like I, I guess kids have that now of course like mm-hmm. especially with k-pop like k-pop such a big one for that too and boy bands yeah um, that's so great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you remember then the first time that you performed in front of an audience? Oh God, do I remember even? I mean, I, I had various levels of performance. You know, when I was a kid, I would sing in like these singing competitions, um, which were like the most terrifying things ever, like absolute hell rides. Like when I think about the experience I have now of playing live versus like what they make you go through as a kid. It's so yeah. mean. <laughs> like like oh what? What God. do they make you do? Well, just like you have you go to these competitions where it's like you're just you stand up in front of the other competitors and like eight judges and you just sing in front of them and you have to like wear a long dress. <laughs> That's like part of it, like your outfit has <laughs> to be like has to match the vibe. And I yeah. just yeah, like you know, my knees are shaking. It's like the pressure is just so high and it's it's usually these competitions would be like some way out in the suburbs and like some church and I have to like take public transit for like two hours to get there and they're just an awful experience but yeah I guess I started playing my own music um really I had a band called Galaxy which was a guitar band which I wanted to start after seeing the Red Hot Lovers um and we used to just kind of like book our own shows and I mean those shows were fun Because, like, being in a band also is just so much more fun than being, like, a horrible singing competition. Yeah, of course. (laughs) And there's, like, no... I mean, being in a band, there's competition, but it's, like, healthy, transparent. Yeah. It's, like, creative competition, not, like, this terrible judging, putting yourself up against somebody else. Yeah. Especially at such a young age. Yeah. God. Mm -hmm. Why did you have to wear a long dress? Is that because it was church and like religious? No, it's not religious. It's just, it was because of like the classical music singing world. You just like have to wear a long dress. I mean, at least at the time you did. But that was part of the reason why I quit. Because I was Mm -hmm. like, this is bullshit. (laughs) Like, I shouldn't have to wear like a floor length gown. (laughs) Like, it's just not my vibe. (laughs) Or be, at least, at least, if you do want to wear the gown, have your own say. Like it sucks that you were told, you know, <laughs> if you want to wear a gown, you're gonna wear that gown. You know, you don't want to be told to wear that gown. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but your mum was in your, your latest uh, song that you just released today. It has the choir from your mum's school yeah. on it. So was she the one who kind of got you into that whole scene and the classical scene? Or was it was it just something that you were interested in? To be honest, it kind of had nothing to do with my family. My family was yeah. never really very musical. Like, they loved music. Like, my parents... My parents actually have, like, really great taste in music. And they listened to a lot of good music when I was growing up. But I just, like, didn't respect it or understand it for whatever yeah. reason. But they thought I was insane because I loved opera. And they were like, why do you like this? Like, they didn't get it. They didn't hear it. They were like, this is so weird that my kid listens to this. Yeah. So, you know, they, they would, like, comply. And I'm very grateful. You know, they, like, put me in the choirs. And they got me piano lessons and all of this stuff, which is, you know, it's, like, it's expensive to, to be able to do all this stuff when you're a kid. So I'm grateful that I was yeah. able to do it. But um, they... Yeah, they they didn't understand. <laughs> yeah, I guess like classical music, especially for anyone like there's such there's such ageism with it because it, there is like a level of maturity where your ear has to like like something as complicated or complex or even the simplest notes. It just the, maybe it seems more melancholy than it is, and there's not much of a descriptor with classical music because mm -hmm. just, you know, other than like pop music, you can connect either to the melody or, mm -hmm. you know, the lyrics. Well, the but interesting thing is that I feel like a lot of classical music, like really famous classical music kind of is like just super derivative pop music in a way. It's like, like some of the mainstream stuff. I'm just like, oh, this sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, <laughs> like just these like really classic classical melodies that I'm like, yeah, it makes sense that these are, so famous but in a way like they're not maybe at the time they were like pushing boundaries or whatever but i'm like there isn't that much difference between like the most famous classical music songs that exist in the world and like the most famous pop songs that exist today even right. though classical music aficionados would be like like disgusted to hear that i'm like it's it's like basically the same thing <laughs> but I there's think. also like elitism in like even speaking about like classical music. Mm -hmm. It's the same as like jazz. Yeah. Or even weirdly punk. Like I feel yeah. like the punk uh the punk scene is the same, punk and emo. Like if you talk about it in any derogatory sense or liken it to anything, um but you know, all I just say to that is like just listen to Western uh, <laughs> West African West African music and you'll be able to hear everything that comes <laughs> into your daily life because yeah. it's all derivative of that. Like oh, you for cannot sure. uh, you can't deny. But so when was the when was the time that you really felt like you owned the stage? Like so when you started the the kind of guitar band after you saw that band that was kind of life-affirming and life-changing for you. <laughs> so w when did you feel like then you came into yourself as a performer on stage or like just had no doubt that you were going to do that and that was what you were meant to do? Um, I mean, it's definitely been a journey, I would say. You know, I went from the rock band and I started playing my own music by myself. Um, and yeah, I started out, when I started out playing my own music, it the show just like i feel like i've like normalized over time in a way like the show the show started off super weird like the music that i used to make my solo music even before austria was just like really weird very difficult music to listen to um and 
I used to play that by myself and kind of like maybe freak people out a little bit, but also like people were always drawn to my voice had something that I guess kind of kept me going. I remember doing some DIY tours in Europe with my drummer of the band Galaxy, Maya, who I went on to play with for a long time in Austria. Um, and we, instead of like touring with drums or anything, we bought this, we brought along this like huge xylo synth, which is basically like a MIDI controlled marimba. And oh, it was wow. like, it was like massive and weighed so much. Oh and we just God. like, we were doing a super DIY tour of like taking trains and ferries and buses all across Europe and like just lugging this huge xylo synth with us. And in retrospect, like, I don't know why we <laughs> we made that choice. But Wait, but it took did me. Where you find that? Isn't it like from the eighties or like late eighties, early nineties? I think I'm Maya just, I found feel like it. I've seen one before. It's like kind of got like wooden. Yeah, exactly. I think Maya was at like a percussion workshop or I don't know whatever those things are called. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and they like had one featured there, and she was just like amazing. I absolutely need that. So, I mean, they sound great. Like they obviously aren't like they're not tinny or anything, but there is that like kind of weird hollowness to it, I suppose. If I'm just remembering, yeah. Like I feel like I've almost like hit like touched one before. Yeah, because so, I'm not a musician, but I think I've seen one because I do love the marimba. So like the fact you know like the fact that there's like the xylophone synth out there yeah, <laughs> like, it's seems so like this weird. great very cool hybrid <laughs> like living amongst us yeah um but so so obviously your your lo love or infatuation whatever with music has your shifts from something personal to obviously something more communal when you're working with different musicians um but then as you just specifically speaking about like the last few years um and performing so do you perform on your own? Like the, the tour that you have coming up now, the the dates that you've unfortunately had to postpone, will you be doing that on your own or will you have a band with you? I'll have a band. Um, okay. So I have a new band now, um, which I was in the middle of rehearsing with kind of before this all happened. So uh. yeah, so we haven't even like fully, we we were just starting to learn the songs and it's a shame mm. because it was super exciting because it was like I haven't played with all new people in a really, really long time. And I was really mm. nervous about it, but it was super fun. And like we all got along really well and there, there seemed like there was a really good connection. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just like got cut off. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, <laughs> to do it again before the yeah. year's out. But but if not, then that's OK, too. But do you feel like obviously having musicians learning the songs that you've written or you know you you or co-produced and things like that do you feel like that's something that you like that be performing in that way and having your songs translated you know through other people's versions of it is that the best thing for you just feeling that comfortability on stage yeah I mean when we go into rehearsals I kind of I don't want to 100% replicate the tracks as they are on the record you know I want right. them to kind of take ownership over the parts and like play what feels natural to them and kind of work out a version that works between us because I think if they're just like replicating the record then you know you maybe it's not as fun for them and I think if it's like fun for all the players then 
it's fun for everybody so yeah so yeah you, you just got to try and find like a natural energy i think between you that works yeah what do you then need to have a good performance like do you have any superstitions or like pre-show rituals or anything that maybe you have to do before or after the show or just tiny things like even i don't know like warming up or, or tiny stuff that you know you need in order to make sure you have a good show I, I wouldn't say I have like consistent rituals I probably should but I just think that <laughs> if you are able to kind of feel present right before you go on stage that makes a big difference and like feel connected to each other in the band like you know sometimes we'll be backstage and we'll just be exhausted we'll been have been on tour for a long time and it'll be like you're going on stage in one minute and we're like okay <laughs> and then you get on stage and you know the energy picks up really quickly but like I find that if we try and make an effort like 20, 30 minutes before and like get dressed together and just try and like pump each other up or get excited, then that usually makes a really big difference. So that's usually something that's important to do. Do you have like things that you tend to avoid on the day of shows? Like how do you preserve? Because obviously, you you know, you mentioned even just your voice earlier and being a singer for so long. I mean, I know like throughout the project's history, you've worked with such a big variety of live musicians and band band members but how do you approach taking care of your own voice and making sure that you're you know as healthy as possible to perform I mean I don't have a problem singing every day that that doesn't put a stress on my voice but the thing that's difficult is just like a general lack of sleep and therefore uh, me having a weakened immune system so so I know now that like if I have too many shows in a row or if I have to wake up too early or for whatever reason, if I'm not sleeping enough, I will get sick. And yeah. if I get sick, I've never canceled a show because of not being able to sing, even though I've definitely played some shows with a very questionable uh, like singing ability. But I'll just like mask it with like lots of drugs and lots of reverb <laughs> and yeah. hope for the best. <laughs> um, but there was a while where like I would always play vienna right after berlin um and berlin is just always like insane you know we'd always play these like big shows in berlin and we'd always want to like hang out and have fun after so we'd always have these like big nights in berlin and i would always play vienna right after and i would always be sick so I'm, yeah like, there's like three or four times in a row where i'm like oh my god i'm sick again in vienna <laughs> yeah like, i need to stop playing vienna after berlin <laughs> Or at least like have uh, just take a, like three days, which yeah. obviously you are not never afforded that amount of time. But yeah. like, or even like a day just to to sleep it off before Vienna. Yeah, just one day that'd be enough. <laughs> so obviously the like the energy in Berlin, like I know it's palpable. But have there been any cities that you've played that have just shocked you in? It's, it's excitement or just like the city you were able to walk around it like anywhere that you've traveled I don't know I want to like live vicariously through wherever you've traveled so you can like <laughs> get transported even for like a minute yeah <laughs> yeah we've played definitely I feel like there's a lot of cities that kind of surprise you in terms of the ones mm -hmm. that you would think would be the most fun to play like we do a lot of shows in in eastern Europe and that those shows are often like insane. I love playing there. I love playing in Poland. Um, I love playing in Latvia, especially because Austria is like a Latvian name. Oh wow, I did not know that. Oh, yeah, and so and so, yeah, we've done a lot of stuff there. I've played in like Istanbul a lot of times, which is also like another amazing place to play. Um, yeah. You know, but then it's funny because 
I also feel like I always have amazing shows in Paris, for example. And I was just recently doing press there and the journalists were like, oh, yeah, Paris audiences are like notoriously so boring. And I was like, that is not what I experience at all. (laughs) And my label was like, yeah, that is not the case for you. But like, so I guess I've been lucky. Yeah. But it's because we have like a pretty big gay following and gay people are more fun than straight people. So this is why in these boring media cities, it's because gay people come to our shows. Do you think like, it's just something that's picked up over the years? Like, is it the style? Like, yeah, well, I mean, this is the difference between like gay culture and queer culture in a way and why people like identify as queer because in a way like Mm -hmm. gay culture can just be like mainstream and boring now. Whereas like queer culture Mm. is still you think of as being like subversive and interesting. Right. Right. And, which is why I always want to identify with like a queer community because mm-hmm. it's also just people who like don't want to be normal. It's not just about like, you know, who you love or whatever. It's about like wanting to live outside of what people consider to be like a normal way of existing, which is pretty boring in my opinion. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally, just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.